Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hi. Hi. I'm freelance journalist Carrie Leiterson, and I'm at Craig and Park watching a group of teenagers play volleyball <laughs> with two Chicago police officers. And it looks like they're having fun. Thanks for inviting us to your game. Thank you. It's part of a pilot program designed to revive community policing in Chicago and rebuild trust. Relationships between police officers and residents have long been tense, especially in communities of color, and especially since 2015. That's when the video of a police officer shooting Laquan McDonald went public. This tragedy forever changed Chicago. This is Superintendent Eddie Johnson giving his retirement speech. Trust in the police department fell to its lowest that I've seen in my 31 years. Several Curious City listeners have asked us questions about community policing, what it is, who it helps, and whether it can help build trust between the police and the public. And it's a good time to answer those questions because Superintendent Johnson has invested heavily in community policing. He said he would reinvent it. And while he launched several projects under that banner in the past few years, we're going to take a close look at the most ambitious, that pilot project that brought officers out to play volleyball. But first, what is community policing? It's a strategy and philosophy based on building relationships. While most cops spend their days responding to calls, driving around in their cars, and doing paperwork, Community policing means they focus on a small area and really get to know people there. District Commander Tony Escamilla is overseeing the pilot. Get out of your car. Take a walk up and down. Engage some of the people on the block. He says it requires a lot of time walking the streets. It's not, okay, head and shoulders driving by in a car. How you doing? Yeah, I wave to him. This might sound familiar. Chicago has tried community policing before. In the early 90s, Mayor Daley launched CAPS, or the Chicago Alternative Policing Strategy. At regular meetings, officers shared information about local crime and residents shared concerns. When Chicago starts, they started by doing it right. Criminologist Wes Scogin is an expert on CAPS. His research shows that initially, CAPS meetings were well attended, and participants said they trusted police more than in the past. I think by 2005 or so, Chicago had easily the most impressive community policing program in the country. Then it started to hit a speed bump. Scogin blames the decline of CAPS on police superintendents who didn't buy into it. By the time Eddie Johnson took over in 2015... It was really a shadow of its former self. Meanwhile, multiple scandals further damaged the relationship between police and the public. And then came the dash cam video. 16 shots! 16 shots! Today... A consent decree demands reforms, among them that community policing become, quote, a core component of policing in Chicago. 
The pilot project is the centerpiece of that effort. For now, only a dozen officers are assigned to the project. They're in the 25th district on the northwest side, stretching roughly from Austin to Belmont Cragen. There are some things that make it different from CAPS. For one, the cell phones. Officers give out their numbers and encourage people to call and text anytime. I spent three days with three different pairs of cops in the program, and they were constantly fielding calls. I was with officers Carolina Salcedo and Danny Lopez when they got a call from a pawn shop manager. They had just been robbed, and she called after being put on hold by 911. Knock, knock. Ay, ay, ay. It wasn't the first time. Again, I can't. Someone asked to see a nice piece of jewelry, and then ran out the door with it. Have you seen them before? Um, they have. Yeah. After finishing up at the pawn shop, they walked across the street to a convenience store. How are you? It seemed like Officer Salcedo knew everyone there. I'll close and I'm gone. Be good. Behave. All right, sweetie. We'll see you around. Okay. Mama, you can come through. Commander Escamilla has a master's degree in counseling psychology. He says this kind of relationship building isn't just good police work. It's good for officers, too. There's just such a a wellness component to it because they're actually doing what they came on this job to do. They're getting to see the results of the problems they're addressing. They're not going from call to call to call. Another day, I walked along Cicero Avenue with officers Antoinette Alcazar and Liliana Zapeta, the ones who are playing volleyball with kids. They told me about an experience they had nearby. People had been complaining about prostitution, so the officers went out with some residents, not to make arrests, but to help. They offered to take one woman to drug rehab. Here's the peta. First she said no, and then she called. She's like, you know what, I'll take the help. And then we're like, well, we'll personally take you right now. And she was so grateful. And this is also part of it. The officers try to connect people with services, from crucial things like drug rehab or jobs, to extras like a bouncy house for a party or turkeys for a raffle. And there's another thing that makes this project different. People they call community ambassadors sometimes join police on their rounds. They introduce them to their neighbors, but they're also there to critique the project. DeAndre Rudis is director of the ambassadors group. At 32, he's also its youngest member. He's long been skeptical of police. He says when he was a teenager, he saw an officer throw his twin brother up on a squad car for no reason. Yeah, without question, we we don't trust police officers in our neighborhoods. But Rudis wants to help the police change their behavior and their image. You know, you get a lot of people that are like, I'm so happy to be able to meet the police officers. And then you got a large population of people like, I don't, you know, F them. You know what I mean? I don't, why, why are they over here? Like, I, I have my own reservations against the police officers as well, but I do believe that we need to strengthen our community with their help. It's hard to measure the results of something like this. Crime is down in the 25th district, but it's down citywide. There's one statistic that suggests this program really is working. Those cell phone numbers the officers share, they've been used. Residents made more than 20,000 calls or texts in the first 10 months. That's almost 10 calls per officer per day. And Officer Alcazar says they respond to every single one. So the volume of desire to connect with the police one-on-one, because our phones have been crazy. 
The pilot is set to expand to the 15th district on the west side next month. Superintendent Johnson says he hopes it will eventually go citywide. That won't be easy. It will mean engaging commanders and officers who might not be as receptive as Escamilla and his team, changing a deeply entrenched police culture and overcoming decades of bad blood. And with Johnson retiring, it's unclear if the next superintendent will make community policing a priority. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Carrie Leiterson. Kim Belware contributed to this story. Hello, this is Jesse Dukes, Curious City audio producer, and I am so excited to tell you about an upcoming Curious City event. You may remember the story I reported about Chicago's rats a few months ago. Do you smell the musty smell here? That, I do. That's yeah. the rat pheromone, that's the rat feces and the rat urine. Well, we got so much rat material we couldn't use for that story, we're going to share it with you live. We'll have more excerpts from our rat safari. The rats had excavated the soil out from beneath the bricks. And basically, I was, um, you know, knee deep in a rat burrow at that point. And some of you, our listeners, will tell your rat encounter stories. We have original rat songs, a rat band, and we'll have something called rat therapy. Curious City's Rat Tales Live will be at the Hideout Inn on Wednesday, December 4th. It's not huge, so you may want to get your tickets soon before they sell out. For more information, go to wbez.org slash events. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.